Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Backstory Song. I'm your host, Doug Burke, and today we're here with James Bourne, formerly of the band Busted. James Bourne is a co-founder and multi-instrumentalist of pop-punk bands Busted and Son of Dork, as well as a solo electronic project, Future Boy. His bands have achieved gold and multi-platinum status, won three Brit Awards, achieved eight number one singles, including a record of the year in the UK, and sold over 1.5 million concert tickets. James has also written songs extensively for many other pop artists, including Miranda Cosgrove, The Jonas Brothers, and Train's Pat Monahan. James has also written several theatrical musicals, including Loserville, Out There, and Murder at the Gates. Great. I'm here with James Bourne of many different incarnations. Um, with James, this is BackstorySong.com. We go into a deep dive on the vision, inspiration, and creative process on individual songs of yours. What song would you like to talk about first? Um, well, I feel like Busted and McFly, I think I'm best known for those bands um, and those songs, but I feel like maybe it would be good to shine a light on some of the songs that no one really knows I've done. Um, but, but amazing artists though. Um, there was one particular song that I did with an artist called Pat Monahan of the band train. Um, who's one of my favorite singers. Great singer. Uh, he's an amazing singer. He's such a pro. I mean, he's one of the coolest people I've ever been in the room with. Obviously drops of Jupiter, which was the biggest, um, well, I mean, arguably at this point, because they had a comeback um, with Soul Sister and that led to a whole second life for them. But when I was working with Pat, he was in the middle. He was talking about a solo album and I got a call from my publisher. It was really weird. So I got a call and they said, Pat Monaghan's in London. And I was like, from train? And they were like, yeah. 
And I was like, wow. And they were like, yeah, do you want to, he's going to be writing this day. We're looking for people who want to write with him. I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't want to do that? So I immediately, I, you know, just went and I met with him in a studio in London that had been booked by um, EMI at the time before it was Sony. This was quite a long time. This was like 2006 or seven. It was one of those years. It was before his solo album was released. So you'd be able to figure that out by that. His solo album was called Last of Seven. But I met him when he was trying to figure out that album, just doing that, that writing, right? So I go down there and I meet him and he is, and he's, he's, he's quite the star. Like he's, he's, he's just, you know, that people have that star quality. Except he seems so yeah. down to earth and approachable. He is, uh, he is, he know, is, but he's as a performer, but you can still have star quality and be that way. Yes. No, um, that's a rare combination though. Yeah, exactly. So he, um, he, that's what Pat was like. He was just super cool and but also a star and i couldn't really believe that i was being given the opportunity to write with him because all of my hits at this point and success had been with you know busted and mcfly who were young pop guitar bands and even though i believed in those songs and i'm really proud of them like at the time and because i was so young and we were so young it, i wasn't really the obvious candidate to be working with a grammy award-winning rock star do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I went in the studio with him and EMI had arranged another guy to come down because maybe because they weren't sure because I was so young and uh, quite, you know, I'd had songs that had done very well in the UK, but I hadn't ever worked with anyone on Pat's level before. And they sent this older guy and I knew a friend of mine actually called Pete Woodroff who was also a songwriting friend of mine. We'd done some songs for my band, uh, Son of Dork, which was a band I had after Busted. And he was invited to the studio to kind of be a go-between, like a middleman, just to check that it was like a smooth session. But he was also a songwriter signed, like I was. And we go in the studio, and it was that, at the beginning of any writing session, it's always sometimes a little awkward because someone has to say something, right? Right. Uh, <laughs> And um, and we're in the studio. Um, it's this underground studio. There was like a piano in there. It's like, I can't remember the name of the studio. It was really cool. And I kind of, I had this piano piece with a melody. And I had it in my back pocket before I went there. And I thought, I really want to show this to Pat because when I hear Drops of Jupiter, I hear Elton John for some reason. Uh-huh. And... Um, and I just felt that this song, I mean, the, I mean, I think the obvious thing would be show him something on a guitar, like make something rock, you know, but I just had this thing and I wanted to show it to him. So I did. And I kind of hummed the melody um, without any lyrics. Uh, there were no lyrics, just a melody and uh, a piano. And the, the thing that it was the piano piece and the melody together that kind of um, sort of made, made me feel like it was worth showing. Uh-huh. Um, so I did. Were you nervous about it? Yeah. You're, you're, yeah. You're like, how's he going to react? Yeah. You, yeah. Well, because he could have said. That sucks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Let's so, do something. Here's what I really want to do. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so I played it for him and before he could say anything about it, Pete, my friend 
said, yeah, I'm, um, I'm not sure if that's the right thing for this session, uh, James. Um, I, I, this, this isn't, yeah, that's not what he needs. He need, you know, um, and before he could finish talking, Pat kind of interrupted him <laughs> and Pat didn't know our relationship because he could say that stuff to me easily because we had a creative relationship and it's easier to be honest with people that you have a background with. Right. But Pat had no background with either of us and he had no problem <laughs> telling this guy. He, he just kind of said, he interrupted him and he just said, so are you an executive? And Pete said, no, I'm, I'm actually, I'm a songwriter. I'm here. I'm, I'm signed EMI and I'm was invited to the session just to help. And, um, and he said, ah, oh, cause, um, cause I'm going to do the lyrics and we've got the, we've got the melody and the piano and I don't think we need any more help here. I think we're good. Um, and, uh, very polite, very diplomatic. Oh, it was, I've never seen anything like it actually. And, um, <laughs> because I think he, he was, I think what, what it was, Pat loved it and Pete didn't think it was right. So right. at that moment, I think Pat just felt like, well, I love it and I'm going to do lyrics. Um, and I think we're good. So he kind of <laughs> threw him out the session. <laughs> um, and Pete was really cool about it too. Like, by the way, cause he's really cool. Um, and he just went, well, yeah, yeah, of course, you know, um, and he left <laughs> and we still laugh about it to this day. It's just so, it's just so funny. But then all of a sudden he left. So I watched him kind of throw him out the room in like, like, in a really like professional, like non crazy way. It was just, kind of, but it was kind of frightening. It was like, wow, I've never seen anyone do that before. Right. Um, but in such a professional way too. And then he kind of looked at me and went, well, I'm going to go to the park and I'm going to write lyrics. And then you're going to stay here and you're going to start building the track. And when I come back, I'm going to sing it. And I was like, okay. Wow. So he left. And he had the whole melody in his head. He recorded it. On oh, his, he, he, on a, he had an addictophone. He, he just had it on a phone and he just, he just recorded to me. It. He recorded me playing it. Okay. So singing and playing. He's listening on his phone, on his yeah. smartphone. He recorded me doing the melody and the piano. Yeah. And he took it to the park in Soho somewhere because the studio was in Soho. Yeah. He took it into Soho Square or somewhere like that and sat in the park or wherever he went. He said he was going to the park. And back at the studio, I started building the track in the studio and I couldn't, I was like, this is pretty heavy. Like, I, all I did, I showed him it once. He has it recorded. He's writing lyrics. I'm building a track. It was all very like, I'd never, I've never done a thing this way before. So it was a new way of working for me. And he showed back up at the studio about, and it couldn't have been more than an hour, hour and a half. He had all the words. He had them all written down. He got in the studio and I had built a track and he sung the whole song. And the song is called? Great Escape. Thought I could, but I just can't wait Started planning for my great escape Where I'd live and What I'd leave behind Made a list of things I'd have to take 
And things that make me feel like hell for heaven's sake Who I'd love and Who would tell the line And I need you Everybody needs someone like you If you need me to You would be great escape how many takes the first take was good i mean get out no i mean i mean i i don't remember if it was a one take thing yeah, but i but know that it easily could have been i mean he's that good um he's just a really amazing dude to work with and also you know follow you know we know i mean this was before Soul Sister, which was, I guess, the big comeback for Train. And before Soul Sister, this was between his solo album and his comeback with Train, I was also bumping into him a lot. And because that session went so well, we had other sessions. Sure. And we wrote other songs. And I would go to SIR with him after he finished rehearsals. And we would write songs in the evening if I was in LA. And uh, we went to Malibu one night and wrote an amazing song. We had a great time. I mean, we did, did some really good songs. But I would also be in studios where I would I would go into a vocal booth to lay a vocal down on a new song that I was working on and the production team I was working with was also working with him. And I would see lyrics that had been left behind, you know, by Pat from a session the day before. And I would I would just say, Pat's Pat Monahan's been here. Because <laughs> like the lyrics would just be amazing, right? They would just be like sat there um from the from when he had a session from yesterday. It was like a really cool time. I mean, I'm I'm glad that in that time of my life because this was after my band bands i had a you know and it was the beginning of a long period of just straight up songwriting for me yeah i I didn't do anything else i just i just wrote songs and i wanted to better myself just as a songwriter so so i've interviewed a lot of the nashville songwriters and then and this is much more similar to kind of the way the nashville scene works where publishing houses hire people to write songs and they put them together sometimes and say, you two, you three, you're going to sit in a room. Mm-hmm. You're gonna, we're going to rent you a house like, mm-hmm. and you guys are going to sit in that house mm-hmm. and, and just write and you know, what instruments do you need in the house? And we'll put them there and, and you're going to make art together yeah. Yeah. You know, sort of. Whereas in rock and pop, it's not always like that. Often the artist writes the song and then performs the song sort of as an independent exercise. And, and this is you know, much more like the Nashville style of songwriting in some respects. Yeah. Like, and know. well, I mean, it was a very natural way of doing it, but it was a way that I wasn't used to. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, he. You'd done the other thing where the group got together and created a song at Busted. And- yeah. But Busted was like, Busted was just a complete unique thing. Sure. It was just such a complete unique experience to anything that I'd ever, you know, I'd never done anything before. It was my, you know, I, I was, <laughs> it was like, I was a teenager. Sure. You know, I, I was, you know. Yeah, I get that. So um, let's stick with the greatest, great escape. Great escape. Great yeah, that, escape. That's the so name what's of, it about? So Pat, I guess, would be able to give the best because he's the, he did the lyrics. Sure. So, um, I don't know if I'd be, even be able to do that question justice. That's fine. 
because those lyrics actually didn't come from me. They came from Pat. I just did the melody and the piano. So, um, but do you feel like the the lyrics captured like because part of what I try to oh understand... yeah they did no they, he he nailed it I mean he completely tuned straight into the the tone and the emotion of the music which is um well it was slow it was motivational or inspirational I guess uplifting in the chorus it's it's very hard to like put it into words you know, when you start getting this deep. Sure. But um, he just tuned in to the frequency of what the music was and came back with, with, with the right lyric. I, I understand. It's very challenging. Um, yeah. What I try to do is, is understand what I call the invisible language, which is this marriage. That, that's what it is. It is an invisible language. It's not really even a language that can be spoken, I don't think. It's a language that can only be felt. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And it's this marriage of the words and sounds, all kinds of sounds. And people don't yeah. you know, realize the range of sound no, we that, live in. And that, I think the thing that you're talking about, we're speaking about is, um, I think that's the thing that separates like real songwriters. Because I think to really be a songwriter, you have to understand that. If you don't, I don't think you can truly be one. Because people talk about melody, lyrics, and music, but no one ever talks about what you're talking about. That combination. No, because... It is the combination yeah, that because, makes it all work. Yeah, because that's that's also... It's also conceptual, right? It's like, that's the thing. That's the, that's the, uh, that's the secret part. And it was recorded by pat or it was, the band? it was recorded by pat for his solo album and it was last of seven that was the name of it and um i think it's track 10 i can't remember and I'm, were maybe. you in the recording session or your track was just used and he brought um, in session players and no um the track that i built in soho was it was very quick and it was a demo and in the end patrick leonard was actually the producer that produced his album and who you know is an amazing producer, you know, Patrick Leonard, you know, he did Madonna. I think he did like a prayer, didn't he? For Madonna. <laughs> tons <laughs> of other songs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, tons of, tons of songs, uh, but I went to the studio and I heard it being tracked by Patrick Leonard. I was invited down and, and it sounded unbelievable. I mean, that's the other thing that comes with like not being the producer is that then you meet all these producers. It's part of the reason why I've never fully transitioned into being um, a producer right? And I'm just a songwriter is because from a young age, I've had, I've had a luxury of being in the room with the biggest and best producers in the world. And it's in a way you get, it's like, oh, well, this amazing producer that I know can do this, you know? And so I've, I, you know, I have produced, I have, I mean, you've, I, you've I've, given it a crack. I mean, yeah, I mean, I can produce, yes. but I think the thing is, is that I'm still learning. Life is a continuous yeah. learning yeah, process that's what I'm for all of us. But I, I get a, it. a time will come when I will like produce a lot more of my stuff, but it's not now. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. 
Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Because there are too many people that I've made friends with through my songwriting that I trust more to produce my songs, if that makes sense. Yeah. So what did he bring to the song? I always think of the Saturday Night Live skit with Chris Walken and more cowbell. It was just sonically a whole lot better. It just sounded better. It wasn't radically different. I sure. mean, the parts that I came up with in Soho are all in the song. Um, you know, there's guitars. You know, there's like stuff like that um, that, are, that come in in the song and they were all there in the demo. You know, that's what great producers do sometimes. They know not to mess with it if it works but he made it sound much better great the great escape so let's talk about a busted song you had a ton of hits you know in that era in yeah. the uk year 3000 what i go to school for yeah let's talk about year 3000 just because i feel like that song has like the craziest story <laughs> okay uh, good behind it everybody go nuts I asked my daughter about this if, and she's like, oh, I love that song yes. by the Jonas Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh. well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm super grateful that they did it because it's at least pe people in America have heard of the song. So not a lot of people know that it's a busted song. What she said was profound to me. And I asked her this morning, I said, I'm going to interview the guy who wrote Year 3000. She said, I love that song. She said, I said, why? She said, because it has great storytelling. Yeah. That's what everyone says to me about it. Yeah. As, anyway, but I don't mean to interrupt your story. No, I mean, that is, I, a lot of people, they say the same thing. I think the lyrics are so not normal. They're not the typical lyrics that you hear in songs. There's certain lyrics that are destined to be song lyrics, and there's certain lyrics that aren't. And I think Year 3000 has a lot of those lyrics in them because um, that song really was musical improv. I was bored. I was sitting at my piano. And we I'd been writing a lot of songs. And most of them at this point were with Matt from the band. Matt and, Willis. Yeah. He would come and stay at my house. And we had been introduced to write songs together. We'd known each other a little bit before, but we both auditioned for the same band that we didn't get into. <laughs> and so we were like, let's start our own band. <laughs> and so 
we had this manager who, I don't know, he saw, he saw that, he saw in me that there was this writing ability, but he was a big part of why I started to take songwriting seriously because he was the first person to tell me that my songs weren't very good. Like a lot of family members, like your mom and dad are always going to love your songs. Right. You know. Sometimes. Yeah. Well, they, they don't tell you your songs are bad because they don't know. Right. They don't want to discourage. Right. But he would be like, you know, I play him songs and he would have no problem like tearing them apart. And that's not a song. And one night we did come home from a night out quite drunk and we did write a song that ended up being the first song that he approved of, which was what I go to school for, which was our first single. That was the first song, good song that we wrote. And it was a hit. But Year 3000 came after this and the way that it came about was we've been writing so many songs, right? Trying to get approval from the people that we knew believed in us, but weren't prepared to take it further unless we got better songs. We were writing a little bit like our lives depended on it. And it was a lot of songs and year 3000 was like, we were so exhausted from writing songs, you know, <laughs> writing songs like you know, all day, every day, just, songwriting a couple of kids a couple of teenagers you know my parents house and we'd sit there in the day and oh what are we gonna write today you know <laughs> and i had this piano which was you know in the dining room of my parents house and i it was in a window and i sat at it and um we, we were quite i think we were quite unmotivated unmo that day so i just sort of bashed started bashing the keys like three chords straight not like the way it is right now but it was just c g and f all white notes because i wasn't a very good piano player I was, I was teaching myself to play piano and i was playing those chords over and over again you know c g f you know c c g g f f f c c g g f f f f one day when i came home at lunchtime you know like and i I just started singing the song and that's why the lyrics are so stupid is because I was making them up as I went along and I started singing the song and I was just making up a stupid story. I was just telling a story to myself and I was doing it over those chords and I sung the whole verse. I played the chords of the pre-chorus, but I didn't have any lyrics like, cause I, my, my mind gave up on me. But then I went, kept going and I went back into the verse, which I turned into a chorus because the chorus is the same chords as the verse. And I started singing year 3000 and it was improv. So the verse and the chorus, as we know it was improv. Just stream of consciousness. Stream of consciousness in the moment, just like, and not, not even believing it would go anywhere. Right. Not even dreaming that it would be anything, but there was something about the way the chorus wrapped up with the great, great, great granddaughter line oh i love that line um is pretty fine um which the jonas brothers changed for radio disney that's another story but <laughs> they but i kind of got to the end of the chorus and matt was sat right next to me and he was listening and watching and i kind of looked at matt at the end and i was like is that anything <laughs> and he was <laughs> and he was like yeah like yeah, I kind of like that. I mean, it's something, but I mean, it's a bit silly, but like, maybe. And I was like, I think if we could 
figure out what the words are between the first verse and the chorus, it could be something. Because if you look at the lyrics of the verse and the chorus, they don't transition. Right. So it was like, how do we do that? What are those lyrics? Right. And so we spent, Matt and I, we spent an hour forcing, we just wouldn't give up on, on the lyric. We were like, we were determined to find the, the two lines to bridge the gap between the two sections. And we were like stuck. I didn't think we would get it because sometimes you have those moments where you think, I mean, can we even get it? You know? Right. But we just didn't give up on it. Cause I, I you know, you kind of, uh, we have to get it. You know, we, we, there's going to be something there. And I knew that I wanted it to rhyme because it was a very rhymy song. And I knew that I wanted it to make sense. Yeah, because time travel makes sense. Yeah, well, because I think, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, time travel. No, time travel. I know, that was that was funny. Uh, sorry, I'm... I'm no, but I get it. It's I, early in the I morning. I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> no, like, what the thing is, is that uh, what you've got to remember is, is at the time it was, it was the year 2000. And Robbie Williams had this song called Millennium. And it was everywhere. It was a huge, huge song. You couldn't not hear it. And if you lived in England around that time, you you heard that song everywhere. And I just thought, you know, I think that was in my mind when I was originally coming up with the words was, what about if we just did a song about the next one? Wouldn't that be cool? You know, about the future. Yeah. And I'm a huge Back to the Future fan. Obviously. I mean, Back to the Future was was everything. You, know, you have a band named McFly. And, well, yeah, well, I mean, and that, this that song whole... is very Back to the Future, yeah, referential, well, right? I mean, I, I wasn't in McFly, but I mean, or, or the, band, songs for but the band originated with me and Tom writing songs. Tom, Tom auditioned for Busted when we looked for a member. And, um, and then Tom and I, we, we remained friends. We, I invited him over to write songs and those songs eventually became for the band McFly. Right, right. But um, with with the pre-chorus, we got the lyrics. He told me he built a time machine like the one in the film I'd seen. And that was the empty space that we needed. Yeah, yeah. And then by the time you get from the first chorus all the way to the end of, so the first verse, the end of the first chorus, you have the song. The song exists. So Year 3000 existed like that for a long time. Because we didn't know if it was sensible enough. We didn't, we didn't understand what we had. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Because it's just this idea in a room yeah. at this point. Yeah. We didn't get it. We knew it was funny. We knew that it was enjoy. You know, like sometimes songs can be a little bit serious, right? Especially like... It's like the package, like you know, somebody got artists. If you've never heard of an artist before and they go, oh, I'm going to be huge, check out my song. And the song's really serious and they're really earnest or whatever. It's like, it's not fun, right? And I think part of Busted's, part of Busted's appeal was that it was fun. Yeah, I think you and Blink-182 had yeah. like, you know, there's a tongue-in-cheek it was fun. aspect to- It was just fun. It just put a smile. Doing yeah. funny things it, in your in your songs. It put a smile on pe people's faces, right. and we were of an age that it felt not out of place. We kind of just let the song sit like that, you know, that version that Matt and I had in that room. 
at my parents' house. And it just kind of sat there. And our manager kept saying, you know, we evaluate all the songs that we had and what songs are we going to play when we see record companies? Um, what songs are going to be the first ones that we record when we go in the studio? And he kept saying, you know, the song that always showed true potential was The Land of 3000, because he'd never remember the, <laughs> he, he'd nev never remember the names of the songs. <laughs> so... His, you know, and um, it sounds like so the yeah. land of the dinosaurs. Yeah, he, he, some... he, he had these other names for all of our songs, and that was what he called that song. So one day in a hotel room in London, we would meet a lot of, you know, we'd meet a lot, of, do a lot of our meetings there. You know, with record companies, they'd be invited to to the London Intercontinental at High Park Corner. They would come and hear us play acoustic, and we were leading up to some meetings in the hotel, and it was at this point Charlie. Charlie was in the band and we tried to find a second verse <laughs> for year 3000. And it was like really funny because it was actually probably the best time I've ever had writing a second verse because it was such a funny concept. I mean, you could say anything. A second improv session following the first improv session well the, it wasn't an improv session no, because it was orchestrated no but it was it was very different to the first part because we had this song really yeah the, the song, song structure yeah we had we had the structure of a verse a pre-chorus and a chorus yeah and we knew the second pre-chorus was probably gonna be the same that's what yeah. we were doing back then and we knew that this the chorus was the pre-chorus was like a big it was like another chorus that went before a chorus sure so we knew we had that we knew we needed three lines really to finish the song so what we thought would finish the song. So if I told you some of the lines that were, was, I mean. Oh, I'd love to it, see and, the and, outtakes. And, 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 and the, and the I mean, the if we tried to do a reconstruction of that whole scene, it would just be, it's too funny. Because like, you know, our manager would always try and chime in with lines. And, <laughs> and like, and they were the worst lines ever. Do you have those outtakes? Um, do, do you have that written down? Any of this yeah, stuff? I know. I know exactly. <laughs> okay. Cause I can't, I, yeah. Cause like, <laughs> I can't forget it ever. Cause it was just, it's too funny. It was so yeah. bad. It was good. <laughs> well, it was, it, well, it was, yeah, it was so weird, but um, eventually we got the lines, you know, like the boy bands and another one and another one and another one, you know, and because it was just like, Hey, let's just paint a funny picture of the next millennium. Triple-breasted women yeah. swim around town. Yeah, which is totally like, naked. Yeah, yeah, which is just—it's—it's it's a stupid. It's like I say, it's a stupid song, um, and it's—it's it's just a bunch of teenagers in a room like having fun. So we had we got that, and we went to record it. It was one of the first songs we recorded with the producer at the time, Steve Robson, and he also really thought the song was good. And we got to the we got to that point he was tracking the song and that funky like guitar part was never really in the song in the beginning. It was, it sounded too much like sweet home Alabama. Uh -huh. It was like, dum, 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 yeah. dum, dum, right. Right. Which is sweet home Alabama with different chords. So we wanted to change it up and make it. So that, that guitar part came later. I put that in later, but the middle section, the, I took a trip to the year 3000 it was Charlie and I, like we were in the studio and Steve Robson got to that point in the song where he went, he turned around and went, okay, so what what happens now? And I was like, well, that, that's it. That's the song. And he goes, no, like what's the middle section? Like, what is it? And I was like, well, I don't, we don't have that. And he was like, and he kind of looked at us like really unimpressed. And he was like, 
go outside and ride it now. I'm, you know, I'm tracking, go, go and do it now. I was like, okay. So me and Charlie, we went to this, we went to the stairwell, which was outside the room that we were recording in. And we just came up with the, I took a trip to the year 3000 part and the song had gone multi-platinum and outsold Michael Jackson. And, you know, like all, all those, all those lines, that section happened in the studio and Charlie and I did that. And then we went back in and put it down. He, he was like, what is it? We, we sung it in and he went, that's great. It just went over the existing music, right? The existing chords. So, and that's the song. And I think that last part is what makes people feel like it's storytelling. You know, it. you start off going to the year 3000 and then... In the end, your record becomes a big hit, the seventh album. Yeah, and the weirdest thing was is that our second album, it got released the same week as Michael Jackson number ones. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, and um, and we almost outsold it. <laughs> but he beat us by 500 copies. The song just had this, like, personality that struck a chord with everyone. And I don't think you can plan that. I don't think you can... It's not something that you can just create like on demand, right? It's just, it's, it's, there's either a, a thing there or it isn't there. It's very difficult to try and recreate that. It's very, I, I don't think it's easy to write another one like that because a lot of it had to do with our age. I don't think we could write that song now. So fast forward, not to the year 3000 so much, but to the Jonas Brothers picking up year 3000 and wanting to do it yeah that was a really weird story busted broke up in 2005 i got i started another band and i'm i think it happened after my i guess another band son, son of, of dork. dork yeah and um that band i think oh i know it i was still in that band and uh i was planning a show for that band where we were going to bring a lot of unsigned bands to london and i was in a meeting for that and the phone rang and it was uh, an international number and I picked it up and it was a guy called Dave Massey who's a record executive in the US and I've been writing songs actually this kid had cut my song when he was 13 and his voice hadn't broken and his name was Nick it was a song called Appreciate and it happened through Dave Massey and Dave Massey said it's not working out for Nick. His solo thing's just, you know, not happening right now. We're going to do a band with him and his brothers. We want to do like a busted style band with them in the US. And we want to find songs for them like Busted. And we, we want to do Year 3000. I mean, is that cool if we do Year 3000? And I said, yeah, I don't think you need my permission to Year 3000. I mean, it's out there so you can cover it, right? Like it's not a big deal. Lots of people cover songs. And he said, no, but we need to change some of the lines. There's a couple words in there that Radio Disney won't play. And I was like, well, what do you want to change? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, well, we, we can't, we don't want to say pretty fine. Because, you know, we want to say doing fine. We don't want to give Disney a reason to like not spin it. 
it has to be really clean, like really clean. And I was like, okay. I said, these are all like really minor things. And he was like, yeah. And then they said about the Michael Jackson thing, which I, I don't know, like I always sing the Michael Jackson lyric. I'm a huge fan. I think, you know, there's no, there's no real proof of anything. And I just kind of feel like I'm a huge fan and nothing's ever going to change the music for me. And it's huge inspiration. So, you know, they wanted to change that line for Radio Disney. And, and I was like, I think that's really lame, but <laughs> you know, like it's an executive calling me from like another country. And I was like, I didn't know this band. I didn't think anything was going to happen with the song. As far as I was concerned, it was like, I'm going to say yes. Cause it's this powerful record executive, right. Calling you. I'm also like 21 at this point. I'm just like grateful for any opportunity that comes. I was like, look, if you think the song's a hit for them and you want to change a few words around, I was like, fine, you know, if that's what you want to do, but I don't particularly want to change the words. I, I like the words the way they are, but if you want to change them, change them, but you can't get publishing for it. That's got to be the thing. Cause it's like the song's already out there. It's already a hit song. So my song. Yeah. It's not your song. It's my song. But if you want to move those words around, you've got my blessing, right? That's what, that's what they wanted. So I was like, yeah, do that. I didn't think honestly, I'd ever hear it again from them. And I, I, you don't think, you just don't think that that stuff's going to happen. Who is this Nick Jonas? Well, yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> but honestly, it's like, you just, those things seem so far-fetched. So I was in America and I was at my friend's house and there was a Miley Cyrus concert playing on television. And all of a sudden the music changes and I recognize the song and these three guys come out and one of them's wearing a gold jacket. And like, I'm like, what? This is, this song sounds so familiar. And then I realized I know this song. <laughs> it's my song. <laughs> and then, and then all of a sudden the song, everyone knew the song in America. It was a big hit. It made a lot of noise over here. And I'm really glad that we did let them move a few things around because they took the song to a whole new audience. They took, you know, it's, it's been incredible for the song. You know, the song's more, it's global now. Yeah. You know, that's gotta, what's that make you feel like to have a global hit like that? It's, it's really, it's special because um, really anywhere you go, like people have heard, I mean, in, in America, like I spend a lot of time in America, I've got my visa and I do a lot of music here and people know me really as the guy that wrote year 3000. They don't really know about busted. So it just shows, you know, how that there's, there's different levels of hits. You know, you could have a hit song in one country and no one knows about it in another country. To have a global hit song is a lot different. It's very different. Yeah. Yeah.
think a lot of your music uh, in this era is really focused on teenage angst and addressing it. Like this song, maybe not as much as what I go to school for. If you want to talk about that one. Yeah. So <laughs> what I go to school for, um, Matt and I, we, we came home drunk and then um, home from where from school. <laughs> No, from <laughs> no, no, from we, the bar. That no, we came home. We from came. The we, pub. We, it was a night out. It we we, we it was about you know one thirty a.m. Okay, we 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 got home. We were in the dining room again, which is where we wrote all the songs. It was like the music room, I guess, where all the music happened. And the table was just. We have a very cluttered room. It's a very cluttered dining room. The piano's in there. You know, the year 3000 piano. And then what happened was we were just in the mood. We were t not tired enough to go to bed and the guitar was there and Matt picked up the guitar and he started playing some chords and singing. He was singing a melody and some words. He was singing a song, but the song was like, I love what he was playing. I love the chords. I love the feel of it. But I just, I knew that the lyric was just not quite there. I liked the words, but I just didn't think he had this verse or he may have thought it was a chorus. I don't know, but it, it was, it was just this thing that he was playing. I don't know if he thought it was a chorus or a verse, but for me, it sounded like a verse. And he had these lyrics. Her voice is echoed in my mind. I feel it aching all the time. Can't tell my friends because they will laugh. Feel like I'm heading down that path. Those were his words. Right. So two of those lines are in the song, in the beginning of the song. And what happened was, is I said that the, the line that stuck out to me the most in that verse was, can't tell my friends because they will laugh. That to me unlocked the story. So I was like, well, why, why can't you tell your friends? Do you know what I mean? What would you not want to tell your friends? I, I just, I was just thinking, I was just like going off on one, like, like, you know, the hundred mile an hour, like mile an hour thoughts just flicking through. And I was like, you know, what rhymes with laugh and what can't you tell your friends? And I, I, I coined the phrase, you know, member of staff to go with. You know, I love a member of the staff because it rhymed with laugh. Yes. And then, uh, and that unlocked the concept of what I go to school for. Because it's a song about not being able to tell your friends that you can't stop thinking about teacher. You have a crush on a teacher. Yeah. A big crush. Yeah. On a teacher. Yeah. And I thought and like, she's that's hot. Cool. Yeah. So I was like, that's a cool concept. Right. And Matt loved the concept. Was there a Miss Mackenzie? The well Or was she a composite? So you remember when I told you about uh our manager would used to spur out lines that were always dreadful. So this was actually one good thing that he came up with, and that was the name of the teacher. Okay. So we had this line, girlfriends I've had plenty, you know. And he came up with actually he actually did come up with the, the Miss Mackenzie part. Um, <laughs> None like Miss McKenzie. Yeah, he he suggested Miss McKenzie part. So there wasn't actually a Miss McKenzie in your 
No, there, it was about a teacher. Okay. It was it was a real story. I mean, I don't think you have to have been through that to be able to write that. Does that I make sense? No, no. But, I... but but Matt was definitely he was on when I mentioned the idea of writing a song about that. Matt was all about it because he said that you know he had also felt that way when yeah, he was at school. No, I think um, many and, many young in, men do feel in that a way, way. I feel like you do have those moments. I never had, an, I never, I personally never had anything like that. But like he was like, yeah, I'm all about that concept because you know that some people do. It's quite relatable to like a lot of people. And then we wrote the song. We just started writing this song. We when when you unlock the concept, it's very easy to find the words. If if you ever if you ever can't find the words, you ever struggle finding the words to the song, it's normally because you don't know what the song's about. Just saying, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. um, that's what I found. You know, some people go, oh, how do you, how do you get over the writer's block? Right. I don't think anyone's ever short of melody. I don't think anyone's ever short of music ideas. I think normally writer's block is a lyric thing, but it's a concept thing. So that, that was the thing that, opened up the gates well i think if this song helped matt get good grades in middle school his parents probably didn't care that he had a crush on miss mckenzie we'd left school at this point <laughs> um and also i think matt and i mean we weren't in the best place with like you know we we dropped out we we were like dropouts we and were, at a private school right as i, I read well, in your matt, bio no or? matt matt went to a Matt went to a state, he had a scholarship at a stage school okay. in London, okay. um, which wasn't an academic situation. It's like you do a bit of singing. Performing and yeah. schools. Yeah. It's like, it's like a, it's a good one. It's like a, it's, it's a, a prestigious it was, one. Yeah. Very prestigious, like stage school. Um, he went there and then um, I went to this school. I mean, I think my parents hoped that I would go to like the really good, like where all the smart kids go. And I went there, I got in after the GCSEs when I was 16 and I went to the open day and they wouldn't let me have time off for music. So I didn't go. But, <laughs> um, and they, they were just, they were really like, I think their dreams were shattered a little bit when I didn't go, but they were also really encouraging for the music, but they were scared. I was going to ruin my life for sure. Yeah. So this charts in the UK, is this the first song you of yours that you heard on the radio? Yeah. We were in a car and we were promoting the song. We, we at this point we were signed because because when we wrote the song, so much happened between when we got signed, right? Because we were writing all these songs and we were working with Steve in the studio. That all happened in, it was like a year or 18 months, maybe. And you're playing clubs? Um, No. No, not performing Zero. Stuff. No, Ze so no one knows you guys. No, we didn't. We played zero shows. But you've been signed just based on your talent. Yeah. We and got signed off the songs. Off the, the song, songs. Yeah, we got signed off the songs and, and we performed acoustically in the offices. So, yeah, Simon Cowell was the first person to, we played for him in his office and um, he was like, you know, on the spot offering us a deal. Wow. Yeah. Um, people didn't know who Simon Cowell was back then as much. It was the very, very first, before American Idol, it was pop idol and it was in the uk but this was the very first season so he was he was becoming in england it's a small place it's a small sure, country sure and so it's easy to cut it's easier to become famous more, fast yeah if you're on television yeah you can get known quite quickly in england but the government funds a lot of the television and so there's not a lot of choice of creative outlets there's not like 500 
government-funded channels, right? There's no. A, no. There's a handful. But, but if you're on, you're on. Well, at this point, there were, you know, it's, it was, it's even more fragmented now than it was back then. But, like, back then, there were certain things that the whole country watched. Right. There was, like, music shows, a lot more of them, that were widely watched. Right. So you first premiered this song, What I Go to School for Where? So, so the radio, the first time we heard on the radio, we were, like, in a car somewhere. I don't remember where we were, but we were in a car and we were like going between radio stations and we'd just been into a radio station and they said that we were going to spin it. And we had the radio station on in the car because we wanted to hear it. And then it came on. So we were, we were semi expecting it, but it doesn't matter. It's still cool to hear your song on the radio. I'm sure. How'd you feel? I was just, it was, um, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to remember it. It was, everyone was like super happy. There's a lot of laughing in disbelief, right? Huh. Like a lot of that. Kind of like, it was over, a little bit overwhelming. Because the way that we came about in the beginning was very, it was almost like to people on the outside that it happened overnight. But it didn't. I mean, it was, I mean, it happened quickly. Sometimes it takes people a, a lot longer. Right? Sure. But the planets kind of lined up for us. Like quite quickly and it was it was crazy because this experience you know of hearing the song for the first time on the radio it happened a lot more it happened in different countries you know like in france and, sure and in uh, germany and austria and italy like we'd been all these places you know tr i mean we had a major record company behind us and they were sending us everywhere and sometimes you would get in the car and you wouldn't know where you were going sure you know your tour manager had your passports and if you needed to get on the plane, weren't always, I mean, I probably was told and there was a diary, but I didn't look at it. Do you know what I mean? I was yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I was like, uh, you know, 18 at this point. So. So let's talk about something you're doing for yourself. Yeah. Um, so I think doing some music by myself is something I've always thought about doing. Um, and time just felt right do some i've been writing a lot and recording a lot and so at sundance this has been my first show for my new music um first chance to test drive in front, uh, new songs in front of a new crowd in a new in a different country you know which i wanted i wanted it to be that way i didn't want to be in front of a familiar crowd i want it to be as fresh as possible and sundance just felt like a good place to do that because you know that you can be in great hands. You know that it's ASCAP. You know that they they don't mess around. And you know that you're going to be on stage with great people out front, great front of house. You know, it's just a stress-free environment, right? Just to get up and do something unplugged. With a I, friendly audience. Yeah, I didn't know how friendly it was. That was really nice. That was like really surprising. Oh, that's yeah, nice to cause, hear. Because I just, I'd, I've never been to Sundance before, so I don't know. So I, here you are, you performed all over yeah. the world. And were you nervous coming here? Um, I was, I mean. Like getting up on that stage? Was it, this is my new stuff and what are they? Yeah, like, and it was nice to feel that way again. Oh. Nice. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I think. Adrenaline? Yeah, because I, I I've stopped getting that a little bit. Uh -huh. And I got it again. The first, you know, the first day that I played, I drove from my place in LA and drove all night and got here a minute before soundcheck. 
<laughs> and then I played without any sleep. So, and I played, you know, six original songs. So it was a bit like, whoa. Yeah, that's a 10 hour drive. Um, I've done that. It's, yeah. Uh, I thought I was going to have more time, but you know, I, yeah. I didn't have a tour manager. I did it by myself. Uh -huh. I just drove here and played the songs. It was like, it went through a lot of different feelings in the middle of it. It was like, wow. Like, I mean, it's so bizarre to be of like singing the same songs for the last four years. And then to all of a sudden be in a new country with new songs and a new project. I mean, I definitely threw myself in the deep end a little bit, you know? So let's talk about some of those songs you played. Yeah. So one of the songs that went down really well was a song called Batman's house, which I wrote about a night that, you know, I bumped into Robert Pattinson on a night out and we ended up at his house and he was telling me he was going to play Batman and went back to my house after I was with my friend, we went over there and then we left and I went back to my house and it was just one of those surreal nights where it's like in, you know, in Los Angeles, sometimes stuff like that happens and you find yourself in places that you never dreamed you'd end up. And I just thought to myself, I've had experiences like that before, but like if the three-year-old version of me knew that that would happen, like if I could go back and see the young kid version of myself and I could say, we went to Batman's house. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. No, I mean, your songs um, reference Star Trek and yeah. Batman. I mean, that's the stuff that all kids. Yeah. So I was like, yeah. And I got back to my house and my guitar was like right next to me. And I kind of just picked it up and I recorded my, and it, it, and this is, it was written. This never happens by the way, but like, it was actually the first song I've written like year 3000 since year 3000 in that it, not that it's like, not that the songs are similar in style, but the way that they were written, the way that it was like improv, but this song was no mess. This was like improv from beginning to end. It wasn't like we needed a break or because I'm a lot more, I understand. I think I understand my ideas better now. I understand when I come up with an idea now, I, I can understand it sooner than what I used to. Right. Because I've written, I've written a lot. In the last 20 years, I've... Yeah, you've matured and grown as a I've songwriter. Just, I've done it a lot. I think the more you do it, I think you get a little bit more, uh, get better at it. Yeah, right? I think that's true um, with almost everything. Yeah. Practice, practice, practice. You know? Yeah. Yeah, like, you know, if you write with some, like, old older songwriters that have been doing it for 50 years, they have this, like, it's, like, really natural thing about their ideas that just feels like you don't get that without that, that time. That experience. Yeah. But like, so the song was, I made a voicemail. So the voicemail exists of the song as I'm writing it. And then I went into the studio. I, was, I wasn't going to record it. And then I did. And it was, a, you know, again, like year 3000, like didn't, wasn't sure whether to take it seriously or not. Wasn't sure whether it was appropriate. Wasn't sure you know, we're asking ourselves, me and John, who I record the song with, we were asking ourselves all those questions and we just did it. And I said, he said, you know, I said, and I said, and I said to him, John, what's a solo album for? It's to do the ideas that are too stupid for the band. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, then he was like, yeah, yeah. And then, it, but it's, it's going down so well. Like it's, it went down so well in, at Sundance and, um, so Batman's house, what's the song about what it's about? It's about, you know, what it says it's about going, well, 
because Robert Patterson is the new Batman. And he was talking about it and I was asking him about it because you know, he hung out of Robert Patterson. You're going to want to know. So Batman, you know. I mean, because Batman's house is Bruce Wayne's house and Batman lives in a cave. Right. So, so, so there are actually, there are actually two different ways to interpret the song. And one of them is that way. The lyric works both ways from different perspectives. There's like the one way where it's like, it's just the story that happened, which is just finding yourself at the guy that is playing Batman at his house, the, the actual guy that plays Batman. Or there is the version where I, I imagine the Joker singing it about, did you see Joker? Yeah. The, the new one. Yeah. There's a scene where he goes to Batman's house. And I imagine like the Joker singing that song. Interesting. Definitely the Joker. Not, uh, not, could you see any other villain also singing it? Or is it the Joker? Because the Joker is a very specific villain. I think it's the Joker. Okay. Yeah. And there's a scene where he goes and you see young Batman. And I get a lot of ideas from films too. Like a year 3000. I mean, even what I go to school for, like a lot of those lyrics have come from like Back to the Future and um, like Crash the Wedding was Wayne's World. Yes. And, and oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, Wayne's World 2. Yeah. The scene where they crashed the wedding. Okay. Yeah. 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 Gordon Street. <laughs> so I, I had that in the back of my mind as well when the song was being written. On Batman's house. Yeah. There's like, it's a different feeling to the other songs on my solo album. It kind of has its own place. And I guess there are two interpretations for me. I think and you can interpret it as you want, but it's like, that's what it is for me. So you, you're writing the lyrics on the voicemail first, and then... No, I'm singing and you're I'm, sing, I'm improvising. You're, you're just the whole thing, the lyric improv. and the melody came together. Improv. On this voicemail. Yeah, improv. Okay. Stream of consciousness. Yeah. Kind of... As it, as it happens. And the mood and the feeling you're going for in the melody, are you thinking about that at all? Or is it just coming? Like It's nostalgic. It's nostalgia. Because it's, you know, three years old, running around the garden, dressed as Batman. And now I'm here. Yeah, kind of a surreal feeling or like. It's like, it's like the thing. It's, it's quite theatrical. Theatrical. Right. It's, um, it's like darker than the other songs. Yes. Well, it has um, to be. It's yeah, Batman, right? Exactly. And the strings are a little bit Batman. And it was cool because it opened up because the, the lyric opened up a lot of production stuff. Again, like we're going into that place that we touched on in the beginning of like when we started talking that it's hard to describe. It's that tuning into the frequency of the invisible language. Yeah. And I think Batman represents the invisible language more than any other superhero because he does not have a superpower. And yet when the stuff gets rough, all the other superheroes turn to Batman and say, what do we do? Batman, what do we do now? Yeah. You know, yeah. like, and I always think that he's got really high emotional intelligence and that's the thing. And, mm. and you know, that's why Superman and Spider-Man and all the other superheroes turn to him in that moment. Even though he doesn't have the superpower, they say, what do we do, Batman? You know, yeah, he can outthink. But, but it, part of yeah. it comes from having been through such a dark life experience you know to get there 
Yeah, well, when I imagine it, I imagine it's like, it's not a sunny day. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like year 3000 is a sunny day. Yeah, no, he's the dark knight. Yeah, Batman's like a cloudy day. Overcast, yeah. Yeah. moody, gonna storm day. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, a day in London. Yeah, <laughs> a, like a like a overcast yeah. about to have a thunderstorm day. Not that there aren't nice days in London, but that's kind of famous for that. Yeah. No, I mean, like, the lyric, because I guess in, like, if you had to split, like, in, down to the, like, millisecond, if you're, like, improvising, you know, what is coming first? Because you're, you're doing lyric and melody, but I guess the lyric is slightly before the melody because I, I hear the lyric just before I sing it. I, I think of the lyric right before I sing it, right? Interesting. If you're, if you're like, if you're doing improv, if you're just improvising. Because you know the melody's coming up in your fingers well, somewhere. You, I think I, <laughs> in, in improv, I'm singing words. I'm not like wording singing. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. So like the lyrics really are choosing the melody, not me. Wow. Well, James Bourne, I've taken a lot of your time. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. I had uh, fun? Yeah, I mean... It's cool. I mean, yeah, it's cool. It's cool to talk about the songs and reminisce. So, yeah. Any, what's the name of the album? Uh, I don't have a name um, for it. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that it might end up being a self-titled album. James Bourne. Yeah. Just because if I don't have a name that is n like obvious or I don't want to inf like inflict one on it. Right. Maybe I'll think of one that makes sense, but if I don't, it's probably going to be self-titled. Okay. Yeah. Do we have a release target date? I know these things are subject to a lot of variables. I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be the summer. Okay. We can't wait. Yeah. I want to release some singles just off the album to give people a taster of what's to come and eventually release the album. Then I don't play too many shows before the album comes out. Will we get a tour after the album comes out? I do want to play. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to go. I want to go as many places as possible. Um, and if, will it be solo or a band? Um, what are you thinking? Well, for As my album, it'll be probably, well, it depends. It depends how well it goes. Cause I can, I can go and play the songs anywhere by myself and it's no, no sweat. It's just like me going anywhere. But if I want to have, I guess like the level of production of my live stuff is going to depend if people like it. And if it takes off, I don't, you know, I don't know. It right. is something for all of us to look forward to. Yeah. Okay. I can't wait to hear it and see you again on tour. Thank you, James <laughs> Bourne. This has been really terrifically fun. Yeah. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.